Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Palermo and Carter Bryant on the program this hour. We'll talk LSU baseball and then we'll talk whatever with Carter. Probably everything from AD to Will Wade to Game of Thrones, maybe? Maybe. I don't know if he's a Thrones head or not. I will say, I'm surprised I didn't get Ralph Michaels' thoughts on betting Game of Thrones yesterday, Tim. We were just looking at our, our buddies over at Wager Talk. They just released this huge video about how to bet Game of Thrones. Look, I, I feel like I am just about as big of a Game of Thrones fan as, as anybody premiere this Sunday. I had no idea that the betting market for Game of Thrones was this this large. It's crazy. I mean, obviously, there's a market on who's going to you know own all of the land at the very end, I'm right. assuming, and who Who's going to be on the throne, right? Di- uh, death pools are real, yes. Um, although I find it kind of ridiculous that we're doing pools of, over a uh, a TV show, like gambling odds, but <laughs> right. then again, you can gamble on anything in Vegas. Right. That would seem, and look, the Game of Thrones isn't going to do this, but that would seem rife for corruption if we start betting on TV shows. Couldn't they just have multiple different episodes and insider trading and somebody knows what's going to happen, so they go place a massive bet? The problem with Game of Thrones is it's so so far in right now that I don't have the time to actually do in-depth research and get like to the you know get some good odds here because you know I would. If I, could. I was I was just gonna say this would be something that if you could actually bet, like if you could go over to Mississippi and, and bet this, and you can't, it's just online. But if you could, I feel like Tim, you would spend hours watching and pouring over every single episode to figure out uh, exactly where you could find some value betting Game of Thrones. We're like fifty or sixty episodes in right now, so that's way too much research I have to do till Sunday to get those odds in. So it's it's just it's logically impossible. Sixty seven episodes in. That's right. Um and we're gonna talk some LSU here first half hour and I want to comment quickly on the report today from Ross Dellinger in Sports Illustrated and then it was reported elsewhere also that LSU officials are set to meet with Will Wade. They're going to meet on Friday. And this comes after a long negotiation period between Will Wade and his lawyer and new lawyer and the administration at LSU about who should be part of that meeting, what questions will be asked, and when it will happen. And it's good to see that they finally came to an agreement here. This is good for LSU. This is good for Will Wade. I still don't think, like some are predicting, that this is going to mean the instant reinstatement of Will Wade. I think that is a little bit too optimistic of a view. Remember, Will Wade still has to testify, or at least he's been subpoenaed to, at that April 22nd trial. If he doesn't answer everything truthfully or refuses to answer questions tomorrow, which I assume with his lawyers there, they're going to be advising him not to answer many of the questions that will be asked. Well, then LSU is not going to be able to reinstate him. And frankly, are they going to want to? If Will Wade walks into that meeting with Joe Oliva there, 
with NCAA investigators there, with lawyers there, and certainly LSU's lawyers along with the zone. And let's just say best case scenario here, at least for the truth, that Will Wade tells the truth about everything and anything he did or didn't offer, strong-ass offers to Javante Smart and whoever else, if he tells the truth all there, the, the, the sordid truth of all this, do you really think that LSU's just going to say, well, you told us the truth. Regardless of what you did, you told us the truth, so we're going to let you back. I think, again, that's it's too optimistic. The probability of Will Wade coaching again at LSU has gone up a lot, but it went up from almost nil to something. You know, a few percentage points here. See what happens tomorrow. I, mean, I don't think that we can see Will Wade reinstated before that April 22nd date at the earliest, and that means you've got another week and a half of LSU in this very critical recruiting period without their head coach. For the health of the basketball program, for the health of the basketball program, this must be resolved soon, whether that's Wade getting reinstated, and I would assume that means that LSU would be in communication with the NCAA and no severe sanctions would be coming down on Wade or LSU, at least in the immediate sense. Or they move on from this. And that would upset a lot of people. But you know what's more upsetting is going through the majority of this recruiting period without your top guy, without your head coach. I talked to Glenn Gilbo about this in hour number one, but a lot of LSU fans out there don't realize the dreadful recruiting class that LSU currently has for their 2019 class. This isn't just about the NBA draft declarations, five of them now. Javante Smart and Emmett Williams declaring today. Of course, the new rules mean they can even hire agents and come back. But that top five class last year, so heralded, banner recruiting class for LSU, well, the opposite is happening this year. They don't have anybody. They have a three-star guy, they have a two-star guy signed, and nobody else. This is one of the worst Power 5 recruiting classes in the country right now. They have interest from one five-star guy. Interest. No soft commit, no hard commit. They also have interest, very minor interest, from a four-star kid out of IMG Academy in Florida. Perhaps you can think in the most optimistic of scenarios that, well, Will Wade gets his job back and those two guys, because of Will Wade's recruiting chops, he can convince them to come. That is best-case scenario. The more likely scenario is LSU enters next year, maybe, maybe with one of those guys, a bunch of, of kids leaving for the draft and graduation, and you're in almost a complete reset. We've got to figure this out. They've got to figure this out. In the, and this is where I agree with Tim. Tim and I have disagreed a lot on this. The one thing where I completely agree with you on, this is, the longer this drags out, the more absurd it becomes and the more the spotlight should switch to the LSU administration, Tim, because if they're not going to decide either to keep Will Wade or to fire Will Wade now, and I'm talking about here really in the next week or so, then I'm going to start talking about 
how Joe Oliva and King Alexander and everybody else are making big-time missteps over there because th- this just cannot linger any longer. I said when this first started, the dumbest thing they the administration ever did was put this in limbo. Like, you either keep your man or you stand by him, and or you stand by him or you get rid of him, basically. And LSU basically put Will Wade in limbo right now. We don't know what's going to happen. And the worst, like you said, the longer it gets, it, it just makes the administration look bad. Yes. And, I mean, LSU fans, if you ask, I would say the majority of LSU fans, they're not happy with the administration. Yes. And this, this is just it. If you believe – like I have, I've written articles, I've talked about it. I disagree with a lot of you listening. I disagree with Tim in that I probably would have just fired Will Wade because I feel like you had cause there. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and they have lawyers advising them, and assuredly that's why they didn't do that. But you can't sit here for months on end in this recruiting period just acting like everything's hunky-dory. You want to talk about the proverbial death sentence to a program? Well, if you go through this entire recruiting period and you lose five underclassmen plus the senior, Cavell Bigby-Williams, who graduated, yeah, you're in big-time trouble. I think a lot of LSU fans are upset because they see guys like Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller, uh, other other programs, they're sticking with their head coach right now instead of, you know, sidelining him like they're doing right now at LSU. And I think that's why you, you could see – I think that's why you see LSU fans upset is because you don't see the administration sticking by their man. They're basically saying, well, we're going to we're gonna resolve it after the season's over. And it basically kind of costs us the season. I mean, I don't think we would have – I don't think we would have beat Michigan State, but I think it would have been very close. We'll see what happens. I hope we get – some kind of clarity after that meeting tomorrow we'll see we'll take a break Jeff Palermo comes on in next we'll talk LSU baseball as they get a relative there's no breaks in SEC play regardless of who you're playing but they're not playing a top 10 team they get Mizzou this weekend so we'll see if LSU can continue to get a little healthier here on the field we'll be right back Jeff Palermo joins us now, news and sports director at the Louisiana Radio Network and also part of the LSU Sports Radio Network. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Before we get to baseball, I I certainly can't bury the lead here. What's your thoughts on Will Wade and the administration finally getting together tomorrow? Really is amazing considering, um, I guess it's been, what, 36 days? I I think that was the number I saw that as far as uh, how long his suspension has been and you really thought at that time uh, that that was it. Will Wade's uh, time as a LSU's coach um, it was over. You you wondered if he'd want to come back. You'd wonder if LSU was ready to move on, if the risk was uh, not worth the reward, uh, if uh, Will Wade isn't as uh, careful as he should be when it comes to recruiting. But here they are. The two sides are getting together. Um, I really don't uh, – I, I, I still think it could go one way or the other at 50-50 at this time, Seth. I, I don't think it's a done deal that he's coming back, but it, obviously it's an encouraging sign for uh, fans that want to see Will Wade back on the sidelines, the fact that uh, they're finally going to meet. Um, but I, I would imagine if Joe Oliva doesn't like what he hears or doesn't get some answers or uh, that um, – he might move on after that point. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I, like I said, I think it's 50, 50 can go either way at this point, but uh, the chances are a lot better now than they were uh, say even uh, a week ago uh, before, I guess it was uh, last Thursday when the story first broke out from uh, Ross Dellinger over at the sports illustrated that the two were trying to meet. So um, the chances have obviously improved uh, since that time that 
maybe Will Wade can remain the coach of the LSU Tigers. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch it play out. LSU baseball back in action tomorrow. Almost no easy weekends in SEC play, and I suppose a relatively easier weekend than they have had in the past as they get an unranked Missouri team. But this unranked Missouri team still 23-11 and on the season and just one game below 500 in the SEC East. What can you tell us about the Mizzou Tigers and LSU's three-game series with them coming up? Well, they lead the. Uh, it seems like every time LSU faces a team in the SEC, they lead the SEC in pitching. Right. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've had that. Uh, they had that against Georgia. Uh, Mississippi State was the leading, uh, t- the, the best hitting team in the SEC when they faced them, and Texas A&M was right up there um, as far as being one of the best when they faced them last weekend. And they get another team here in Missouri that's once again uh, leading the SEC in team ERA now. Uh, maybe part of that is just the conditions that they play in, um, and it's going to be some tough conditions this weekend as well. Um, the weather forecast on Sunday doesn't look particularly great in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, you almost wonder, just even looking at the forecast, if they're going to have to do what they did last weekend and play a doubleheader on Saturday because the weather doesn't look that good on Sunday. But um, you know, this team seems to rise up to the uh, level of their competition for the most part. I mean, I think we've seen that with midweek losses to McNeese, Northwestern State, and now Southern. But yet uh, they took two of three from Mississippi State, who at the time was uh, one of the uh, was ranked number two in the country. Um, could have easily taken two out of three from Georgia when they played them, and they were ranked in the top five when they faced them. Um, so uh, this is a team that's uh, kind of placed to the level of their competition, and I. We'll see. Uh, I, I think um, what they have shown so far this year, Seth, is they can beat anybody and they can also lose to anyone. So much talk about Cole Henry, this the outstanding um, young pitcher for LSU this this last week, and he certainly, Jeff, is starting to look like the future big-time Friday night guy that will continue this tradition for LSU that they've had well for a couple of decades now. Yeah, and he was kind of the uh, – the, there wasn't any buzz about the guy going into this season. You know, Landon Marcel was the guy everybody was excited to see pitch from Destrahan, who put up great numbers, Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there was Jaden Hill, who, uh, you know, this big, uh, very athletic kid who played quarterback, at, um, and, and he looked like he uh, – and those were the two guys. Those were the two big-time freshmen – uh, that we were really anticipating. They both, I believe, started that opening weekend uh, for LSU, uh, and uh, both guys have been hurt. Uh, haven't you know? Marceau obviously tried to come back against Southern, and it didn't look very good for him. And Jaden Hill is still trying to come back. And Cole Henry, who was hurt during the fall, gets healthy at the right time, and he has really been, I think, uh, the guy that's kind of locked it in. Uh, I, I think he's been the the best out of the three weekend starters. Uh, he's been the most consistent for sure. And I think he has solidified this weekend rotation, just the fact that they needed when they were really struggling with pitching. And then they started getting these injuries with Jaden Hill and Landon Barso, and they were waiting for Eric Walker to come back. They needed somebody to step up and it turned out to be Cole Henry. And, uh, you know, Paul Maneri sometimes makes the mistake of comparing guys to certain people. He, sometimes throws out comparisons to Alex Bregman and it doesn't really go very well for him sometimes. And 
he kind of compared uh, Cole Henry's demeanor to Aaron Noah, and that's obviously a very flattering praise for Cole Henry, but he's been that way. I, I've seen it. Uh, he'll have you just look at what happened this past uh, when he started against Texas A&M. The Aggies score a couple of runs on him, but what does he do? He just he he doesn't let it bother him, and he goes out there and he pitches what seven eight innings or whatever it was uh, of great baseball to get the victory. The same thing happened when he when he faced Georgia in Athens. Uh, there was an error uh, allowed Georgia to, to get on the board early, but then he he shut them down the rest of the way and. I mean, I think that's a really good sign for a pitcher. Yeah, he looks like to be another uh, great player. Uh, you would just like to see if, you know, Landon Marshall and Jaden Hill, if they can contribute by the end of the season. But, um, I, you know, there's obviously some question marks with Marshall after not a good start uh, this past Tuesday against Southern. Is it was a big deal they lost to Southern. I know it's another midweek loss. Uh, we've talked about it before. First time in 15 years they've lost to Southern, and once again you have the fans uh, up in arms here. Not all the fans, but the, you know the segment that always is. Uh, Jeff, about a minute left. Uh, yeah. Well, I think when you combine Northwestern State, McNeese, and Southern, it's it, it doesn't look very pretty. And in in those three combined games, they scored a total of three runs. I mean, it would be one thing if you had what you had on Tuesday. You get, your starter just doesn't have it, and he gives up five runs, but yet you still score a bunch of runs. But LSU offensively, just uh, they, they, haven't, they haven't risen to the occasion, and they've had other low-scoring games in the midweek against South Alabama. They ended up winning that game. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lineup that's easy to pitch to because it's so left-handed heavy, and they got them all lined up back-to-back-to-back pretty much. And so a lot, of, a lot of pitchers are able to just really settle in on this lineup and they're able to hit their spots. It's a lineup that could be easily beaten, and that's a little scary once we get into postseason time. Jeff, I, can I hold you for sixty seconds? I have one more question about the injuries I, I wanted to ask. Yeah, right? sure, okay, sure. All Go right, ahead. sixty yeah. second break here for CBS News. More with Jeff Palermo when we come back on the last lap. We're talking LSU baseball with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network and LSU Radio Network. He's on Twitter at Jeff Palermo. LRN. Be sure you follow him there. And Jeff, this is more of a philosophical question here about all these pitchers' injuries and and so many for LSU over the last couple of years. Nick Stores, Eric Walker, Landon Marceau, Jaden Hill. I mean, you could go on and on here. And I just don't remember an influx of injuries to pitchers like this five, ten years ago. And I'm not just talking about LSU. I'm talking about in college baseball. You look at a lot of programs, they're dealing with something very similar here. Why is that in your mind? Is Are, are pitchers being treated and used differently at the youth levels now than they, than they weren't um, You know, a decade ago? Why, why so many pitchers' injuries uh, now? And maybe there was this before, and I'm just misremembering uh, misremember it. No, I think, I think you're on to something. I, I, and I don't think it's necessarily what's happening with high, in high school baseball. I, I think it's more of the, the travel leagues and the, uh, the showcase games, you know, where – those kids get up there when you're 16, 17 years old, and you you pitch in uh, a high-profile um, tournament in summer league or whatever it is, and everybody's got a radar gun there, and you got a bunch of scouts there, and they're trying to pump it in there a little bit faster than they normally do. I think that's where a lot of the uh, problems occur, and these these kids are are throwing the ball a lot more than maybe they used to, um, in the sense that. Uh, yeah, you, you go through your regular high school season, and then you got the summer league, the travel teams, and all that, and you're, you're pitching. And not to say that uh, even those, those coaches are 
um, overexerting these guys. I just think over time, though, when you, when you throw as much as these kids are throwing and uh, trying to throw it as hard as they can in a lot of cases, I think they're putting a lot of pressure on their arms. Um, and so, yeah, I, I know there's there's some wondering, you know, what the heck is Alan Dunn doing and this and that. And um, I, and I think there's been some guys that they've gotten that have been just kind of damaged goods. I mean, Nick Storrs, A.J. Labus. I mean, these guys were just uh, – they kind of burned out when they got here. Um, so I'm just wondering, I, I, do you, do you think, I wonder if it's just, you know, this, this whole new baseball revolution that we've seen the last decade. Like, I think you mentioned it, the, the focus on velocity – for pitchers and high velocity more than a location and off-speed pitches and and maybe Jeff that 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 focus when you're young just trying to get these kids to throw as hard as they possibly can is doing this damage I mean I'm, I'm grasping for straws at this but I've seen yeah. the trend I mean it's real well and you look at it now I mean if you're a pitcher in, in the high in the high school level and you're only throwing in the 80s I mean it that that's that's no good anymore right. you got to be you got to be hitting you got to start hitting I, I would imagine when you're a, a sophomore or junior you got to start getting the ball up there to 90 miles an hour and if you're not uh or if you're not consistently throwing it in the in the low 90s um especially if you're a right-handed pitcher uh, you can get away with it if you're a lefty i mean jared poche was a perfect example of that uh, but if you're if you're a right-handed pitcher, that's you, you got to be you got to be a guy that throws the ball hard. And uh, you know, before I kind of remember when you know when I was growing up 20 years ago, it was kids throwing the curveball too soon. You know, they were yep. they were starting to throw it when they were 11, 12 years old. And now it seems like it's it's kids just trying to rear back and throw it as hard as they can. And that's why it's it's, it's fun to watch a guy like Eric Walker. Who uh, and, and he still suffered a Tommy John injury. He's not a hard thrower. He's a guy that that throws only in the upper 80s. But um, you know, when, if you if you pitch enough, eventually it's it's just like a ticking time bomb, especially on some of these guys when it comes to the to the uh, ligament injuries. Uh, it, it's it's just a time bomb waiting to go off. And for Eric Walker, it went off uh, during the College World Series for him. Maybe even a little bit earlier because he he was kind of hurt going into that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's something that you'll you'll continue to see, um, and it's it's a, it's a risk that uh, a lot of these uh, uh, you know a lot of these uh, coaches have to take, especially on the college level. Um, so that's why it was impressive. Mississippi State had a kid, uh, Plumley was his last name. I can't remember his first name, but uh, Mason maybe? Was it, no, not Mason. Uh, that's that was the no, basketball player, right? Right. I know, I know yeah, the Plumley you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he was a first-round pick for the Dodgers and decided to still come to Mississippi State. I mean, what a risk that that young man took. He turned down $2.4 million. He doesn't know if the next time he throws a ball, his elbow is going to go out on him. So, um, you know, some guys are built for it. Uh, other guys, it's, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before they really suffer some injuries. And unfortunately, uh, for LSU, they've had some guys that have they, that have arrived here that, have been, as I mentioned, damaged goods. And uh, you hopefully a guy like Marcel and Jaden Hill, those guys can get past this and, and still become really good college pitchers because you know the talent's in there. Yeah, I'm crossing my fingers for those guys and all these pitchers. Peyton Plumley uh, was, was Peyton the name. Peyton Plumley, there you yeah, go. Over at Mississippi State. Uh, Jeff, always appreciate the chats, man. We'll do it again soon. Thanks so much. 
All right, Seth. No problem. Thank you. Jeff Palermo, a news and sports director at the Louisiana Radio Network and part of the LSU Sports Radio Network at Jeff Palermo LRN. We will break when we come back. Our weekly spot with Carter the Power, stand-up comic, sports radio host in South Arkansas, college friend of Tim Zimmer's behind the glass. We'll do that next here on The Last Lap. Lots of LSU news today. Will Wade going to be meeting with the administration finally tomorrow over in Baton Rouge. He also had Javante Smart and Emmett Williams declaring for the NBA draft. Five Tigers now have declared for the NBA draft. We're going to talk that, and we'll talk a little NBA, and, and probably who knows what, really, with Carter Bryant, host of the Carter Bryant Show on 1071 FM and 1400 AM in South Arkansas, stand-up comic, at Carter the Power, and, of course, a little double-dipping with Carter today. I was on his program uh, earlier, and I, I did put out there an invitation to join me for the Lady Gaga residency tour, Carter. So have you thought about that invitation? Actually, I, I have, and my girlfriend is the biggest Lady Gaga fan of all time, so send me the date. I'm there. Okay. Why not? When, okay. when, when, when's the show? Uh, June 1st, which is a Saturday. So we got a couple of months. you got a couple of months to prepare. Uh, we're doing it. Okay. Well, I'm, dri- I'm driving out there, too, man. I, I, you know what's funny? The drive to Las Vegas is so good. Like, yeah. honestly, the, so the drive from Albuquerque to Vegas is actually one of the best drives ever. Because you got the Hoover Dam, you have the uh, Meteor Crater. I don't know if you've ever, if you don't know what that is. Or I not. haven't been to the Meteor Crater, no. And I've done that drive, card. I've done that drive back and forth here, I think, four times in total, I think. So I've done it quite a bit. Yeah, and the uh, Grand Canyon is right off the highway there. Now, you got to go an hour out, but it's there. You want to know my favorite stop on the way, Carter? And I don't know if you've done this yet, but are you, are you a Breaking Bad fan? Yes, yes, and I went everywhere in Albuquerque. Yes. Uh, yes, I went to the car wash and everything. It's, it's, it is it's it's wonderful, wonderful. But, yes, I, I do want to say this. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge all the LSU fans and I say that because every single statement that all five of the LSU players sent out, not only were in the same typeface, but it all started with those words. So <laughs> I just wanted to go ahead and get that out there. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge everyone out there. So, <laughs> so there you go. I'm just going according to the script. Here. Yeah, Yeah. okay, there you go. What do you make of these five declarations? Of course, the rules have changed now. You can even hire agents. And as long as you attend the combine, you can change your mind until up to this year, May 29th. Yeah, you know, I, I for for the LSU players that declare, really only is probably an NBA level player right now. Uh, and even then, none of those guys and their games truly translate to the NBA at this moment. So I find all five of them interesting because they all are very talented. I don't know how many of them are truly NBA talented players. And I think people tend to forget a few things that the NBA is very difficult to be a regular in. And not always the best players are in the NBA. Sometimes it comes down to fit. Sometimes it comes down to how you actually work well with others. It goes down to a lot of those things. And there's some of the LSU players that do a lot of different things well. But I'm not sure if any of them are truly NBA guys outside of Nas Reed. But 
I, I just think Nas lacks some bite. You know, he spent too much time on the preliminary this year, settled for so many threes this year, and that's not what he's going to take at the next level. So I, I find all five of them interesting, even Emmett Williams. I think all of them can play professionally. But I don't know if any of them are regular NBA contributors. No, I'm with you. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned Emmett Williams there. I actually wrote about this right before my show. He is actually the second most intriguing prospect for me. He is not ready now, and I would prefer that he has a couple of more years of development in college. But when you're that athletic, you can see that he can be an elite defender and rebounder. At 6'6", he could play the 3 or the 4 in the NBA you know, maybe, and this is unfair to Emmett, but you know, Draymond Green light. I mean, it's that kind of mold. I got to think that that kind of player is highly valued at the NBA level. So Emmett Williams, to be frank, I think he's the second most intriguing guy of the five for me, anyways. That declared. Yeah, and there's a problem too. Is that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more players are actually going to declare for the NBA draft? I mean. People are declaring left and right, guys that we know aren't ready. And that's what's kind of sad. You know, there's going to be a lot of these players that go out to the NBA and simply go not ready. And I don't know if they're ever going to be ready. And you can go too early. There's a lot of guys that see the cases of people like Jermaine O'Neal that get into the NBA and it takes them two or three years. But, you know, they're actually making money. They're getting the travel and do all that. But I just think too many players are doing that. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, on my show, set is that I'm happy that players have more power and players feel more empowered to do what they want and go out and make money. That doesn't always mean that you should, and that doesn't always mean that you're ready. And, and this happens a lot in comedy. Like, for me, uh, as, a, as a stand-up comedian, I'm not a headliner. I get asked a headline, but if someone asks me to do more than 45 minutes, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not seasoned. I'm not ready. I'm not a professional at that level. And I think a lot of NBA guys will tell you that too. And I just think all five of the LSU guys, maybe I've got a Nas Reed. I don't think any of them are truly NBA level talents at this point in their career. Yeah. And, and the Javante smart declaring is just, I mean, I guess I kind of get it with what happened right. surrounding him, but I mean, really Carter, like Javante smart, like, that's just making a mockery in my mind of the system. Yeah, and you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as saying it's a mockery. I, I'm happy he's doing what he feels he wants to do. I don't. I and, and the NCAA system in and of itself is a mockery to an extent. True, <laughs> but he's just not. He's just not. He's just not ready. And I do think he has the, the game. And I don't think he's a piece in a puzzle type of player. I think he's a player that you can actually build a team around at the college level. I think he's someone that you can actually give the ball and he put up 20 points a game, even if his supporting cast isn't all that great. So I, I think he kind of panicked. I think we've seen a lot of guys panic. Look, a perfect example here, Nevada, because of coach left, all three of their players are transferring. And not all three of them are making the, the, the right move. So we've seen this a lot, Seth across the college level, if one guy leaves, everyone else is leaving. And it's just been a domino effect. And I don't know one media member that even predicted that these many LSU players would declare. I think we figured Nas Reed would, but I think Scott Mays is a shock and Williams is a shock. And uh, uh, to, to a degree, 
uh, to Matt Waters as a sack. So we'll, 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 we'll see what happens going forward with these guys. Yeah, you're right. None of these players are ready except, uh, you know, Nas Reed maybe because he'll likely be a late first round or maybe early second round pick. It's Carter Bryant here on the show, at Carter the Power on Twitter. And speaking of the NBA, your boy, Carter, Anthony Davis, uh, getting himself in a little hot water over a T-shirt. Uh, my take on this, just so you know, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter, I had no problem with the actual shirt. In fact, I love a little comedy and levity in situations like this. I had no problem with it. I chuckled myself. Uh, but what was he doing in the press conference saying, well, yeah, I don't pick out my clothes. Like I just, I just have people dress me, and I have no control over this, basically. Like, come yeah. on, like come on, AD. Yeah, that's a problem. And I, I'm a big Pelicans fan, but I also don't get offended by anything. I'm like you. I try and find humor in everything. But the most humorous thing of it all is Anthony Davis not taking ownership. And I still can't believe and, – and people actually called into my show a little bit today because they know I'm a Pelicans fan, even in Arkansas. And they were like, wait, really? The, you, you're getting mad over a shirt? I was like, yes, because outside <laughs> of what you have to wear at work, outside of your – obviously your basketball uniform or if you work at a chemical plant, that shirt with the meaningless stitched on name tag for whatever reason, you know, you have to wear that. That's part of your work outfit. But when you're not in your work outfit, you have full control and autonomy over what you wear. And you should take ownership over what you wear. If you wear overalls or nothing underneath to a black and white tux affair, <laughs> you shouldn't just say, well, the wife put it out for me, so I just put it out. No, you have to take ownership for what you wear. And there's people saying, well, Anthony Davis had a stylist, and it's not as <laughs> No! Take control for what you put on your body. And also, for everyone out there that sends the steroid users of the world, defend what you put in your body, too. Yeah. So you have control over that. And I tend to, to uh, defend athletes when they say, well, I can't really control how the public perceives me. I do agree with that. I always defend the athlete there. But you do control what you wear. And if Anthony Davis is listening right now, you can control that. And nobody believed him when he said, oh, well, this is on the stylist. You don't just put it up for him. You not put it up. What are you talking about? Maybe the, our lesson here is that, that you and I and probably everybody listening to this are just so out of touch with the millionaire lifestyle that we don't realize that they don't dress themselves. They don't have the capability to dress themselves. Like, I don't know what it is like to make $25 million a year, nor will I ever know that. So maybe maybe we're just out of touch, Carter. It's not Anthony Davis who's out of touch. We're out of touch. Yeah, it's all us. That that's It's on, it's on me and uh, – and uh, and if Anthony Davis, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what it's like to make that much money, but it. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, and, and here's the thing. You know, all year long, a lot of people make fun of AD and how he handled the situation. It's totally his fault. A lot of it is LeBron and Rich Paul. And I'm no problem with Anthony Davis wanting to go to the next level and doing what he wants to do in the next part of his life. And you know, I I do think we in the media just people overall have been a little harsh on him because he, he, he has provided so much nuance. He was so successful. I mean, I'll never forget the Pelicans destroying the Portland Trailblazers last year in the playoffs. You know, that's it, it's a thing of beauty. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it just didn't end well. And 
yes, we've been harsh on them. Yes, we we'll always love them. But to, to end things and the last thing we have, we're reminded of is a That's All Folks t-shirt. It, it does leave a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. All right. It's Carter Bryant, host of the Carter Bryant Show on 1071 FM and 1400 AM in South Arkansas. I know we have listeners out there, so you need to listen to Carter during the day. And he's also on Twitter, at Carter the Power. And by the way, Carter... Uh, make sure you watch Game of Thrones on Sunday. I can't read. I don't even know if we've talked Thrones, but but please, you know, allow yourself to be entertained by the I, cultural I mean, phenomenon of this this century, man. You know, I I found this interesting. So if I sit down and binge watch anything, my mind just goes crazy. Like I could just go absolutely insane. And did you see on Corden th- this week that they got that that they had one of their writers sit in a room and watch all Game of Thrones, all the seasons consecutively. No sleep, no nothing. Yeah, Corden did that to one of their readers who's never seen the show, doesn't really know a whole lot about the show other than, like, you know, the basic things, Jon Snow is Kit Harington or whatnot. But it's, it's, it's interesting that the show has been such a big cultural phenomenon but I just never got into it. You know, I watched an episode and a half. I'm like, eh, I'm okay. Shame. Shame. I know. Shame. All right, I Carter. Know. All right, Carter. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. All right. At Carter the Power on Twitter. Follow him there. Back after this on The Last Lap. Just getting reports from NOPD that one of their officers was shot earlier tonight and now transported to the hospital. Apparently non, um, well, I don't know if it's non-life-threatening or not. We're getting conflicting reports here. I don't want to report anything. NOPD is announcing a um, press conference staging area that they will be uh, holding that press conference here within, it sounds like, uh, the next hour, possibly a lot sooner than that. So we'll try to keep you updated on that, and we've alerted our news team to that as well. But again, an NOPD officer has been shot and then transported to the hospital with a gunshot wound. No other info at this time. We'll take a break. One more hour of the program here on The Last Lap. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 